All right, I guess we'll get started. Well, we're going to continue talking about faith, hope, and love and how they play a role in the Christian's life. We will open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into our study. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for this day. We pray tonight as we study your word. Lord, um, you know, faith, hope, and love, your word says that these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. And Lord, we want to study um, and not just have a head knowledge, but be changed by the truth of faith, hope, and love in the life of a Christian. That um, they'd be more than just words we speak or, or more than just a, a goal that we set, Lord, but these would be characteristics of ours that we would exhibit faith, hope, and love um, as much as, as possible, uh, even more than what's possible through your spirit tonight, Lord. As we discuss hope and as we discuss its role in the Christian's life, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to the goodness of your son, Jesus. May he be glorified, may he be high and lifted up, and may all men be drawn unto him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so tonight we're going to study faith, hope, and love uh, or continue our study in faith, hope, and love on um, or in a Christian's life. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. And so we're going to study these attributes. We want them to be more than just um, something that we know. We want to display these characteristics, um, uh, I don't want to say naturally, but supernaturally. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear that as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, our, our, our being, who we are, produces certain things. And these things, like love and peace, all the fruits of the Spirit found in uh, Galatians chapter 5, they, they emanate from us. They, they are a natural byproduct of, byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And these three are as dependent on the Holy Spirit as any of the fruits of the Spirit, faith, hope, and love. And so tonight... We, last week we looked at hope. We're going to look at hope again. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And we have to kind of see this as a, as a triangle, if you will, or uh, just like we look at God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, love, for out of love comes faith and hope, or, or our faith and hope is motivated by um, love. It's why the, the greatest of these is love. Um, Paul is very clear throughout chapter 13, starting from the very beginning, that if you do not have love, everything else is pointless. If you speak in the tongues of men and angels, uh, but you don't have love, you're a clanging symbol, he says. So if you have good works, but you don't have love, it's pretty worthless. If you um, have all these great skills, you have all these great abilities, and you have all these great talents, but you don't love people, well, then, then it's all meaningless. And so if you have even faith and hope, but you don't have love, well, then your faith and hope is found wanting. It's, 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 it's less than the love the Bible calls us to. This faith, hope, and love, they all begin with Jesus. This, this isn't just love in general, hope in general, faith in general. This is hope in Christ, faith in what he has done, love that is experienced from him, and out to his people. Jesus is the center of all of these things. If we have faith, hope, and love, but these aren't Jesus's, uh, if these aren't gifts from Christ, if they're not motivated by him, if they're not exercised in him, well then once again they are not the biblical form of faith, hope, and love. 
So tonight I want to talk about why we hope. The world hopes. You know, last night was uh, game six of the NBA uh, finals, and a lot of Cavalier fans were hoping that their team would win, and their team did not win. The Golden State Warriors won. I'm not a big basketball fan but um, or baseball or hockey, but when championship time comes around, I like to stay abreast of who's winning and who's, who's uh, going further and further in each uh, championship series. So last night, a lot of Cavaliers fans had a lot of hope that their team would win, but their hope was only in the ability of the players on the, on the court. You know, their hope was in men like LeBron James, who very gifted, talented athlete, um, but limited. Possibly the greatest basketball player alive today, but still limited. Um, there are people who have put their hope in a turnaround in the economy, that their 401k or their investments will, will rise instead of fall or grow instead of decrease. Um, but their faith, or their hope rather, is really just that things will go their way. We have hope because we have been given promises. We have hope because God has promised us certain things, and we put all of our hope in that. You know, we can have economists come on to uh, television shows and news programs and promise this or promise that, but we know that their promises are faulty, that their promises are built on a human system, and as such, they may not come through. You know, you have uh, – I love sports, so you get – you know, you get football players and such uh, every so often guaranteeing that they're gonna they're gonna win the Super Bowl or they're gonna win the championship. Or, or the, but really, their hopes, their their promises may fall through. Jesus is different, though. With Jesus, we have hopes and, and, and promises that are built upon his his performance and not ours. the the greatest uh, The greatest uh, part about a promise from God, one of the things that most comforts me. Um, is that God's promises are, are not dependent upon my performance. Uh, it, it means that God has made promises, and, and, and I have the, uh, the privilege to be a part of that. I have a, a, the privilege to, to exercise my faith and hope in that. But God is going to do what he is going to do, whether, whether I can perform or not. If God's promises are dependent on me, well, then God's in trouble. But if God's promises are dependent on him, then they will come through. They will be fulfilled as he has promised. Um, the Bible is clear. I believe it's Isaiah 55. talks about God's word going out to perform what it has been set to do. That means if God has spoken something, that the Lord has said something through his word or through his son Jesus, that it's going to happen. One of those promises being the return of Christ. Um, we as Christians, we have this really fine line of... To, uh, to walk daily where we are satisfied in Christ here, but at the same time longing for more beyond this. We, we, we understand that we, we are to be satisfied in Christ. Uh, Paul saying, I've learned to be abased and I've learned to abound. I, I've learned all these things that uh, through, through him or through Christ I can do all things. Um, but at the same time, there, there's this knowing that this isn't everything. You know, when we read that there's a there's been this huge flood, uh, this flooding in Georgia where people have lost their lives and and animals have have died because of these floods from zoos and such, and and we know that uh, these two convicted felons from uh, the the I was gonna say church from the prison uh, wherever that is, uh, they still haven't been caught yet. 
and they seemingly have vanished into thin air like nobody knows where they are um the in the middle east things are in chaos and and every day um there's somebody else running for president who just seems incredibly underqualified is it just me or is is, is the republican party basically taking applications from anybody at this point like if you have you held a job for six months, then you can you can run for president of the United States for the Republican Party. But everybody who stands up and throws their hat in the ring, it's like, gosh, I can't. I, there's just something I can't put my hope and faith in you. This this world, as much as as much as there is joy that can be found in it, there is just terrible atrocity everywhere. You think about things like the Holocaust, where six million. Jews, six million Jews were killed. You think about Roe versus Wade, where something like 50 million babies have been aborted since 1973, I believe it is. I mean, that's that's devastating. That's not just oh, I, I stubbed my toe on the way to the bathroom. That is, um, 50 million children are dead. Six million Jews who were grandparents and, and, and parents and children and nieces and dead off the face of the earth. So we walk this fine line where, yes, we're satisfied in Christ, but, but man, we long for so much more. We long for the return of Jesus. We long for him to, to, to take us from this place to where he is. For eternity, though it's begun and been planted in us, that eternity uh, would come to fruition and we would just be his people and God would be our God. And, and, and he would wipe away our tears, the, the book of Revelation says. And, and, and this that we've known, sin and struggle and strife and trial, that will be all done. We'll just spend the rest of our days praising the Lord, doing who knows what. Just just singing songs to the Lord, praising Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, for, for all of eternity, which I'm guessing is just a really long time. We hope, because God, in the midst of all of this turmoil and, and just chaos that, that the earth is, he has given us great promises. And tonight, we're only going to look at four of these promises, because we could go on and on and on and on. You can buy devotional books that will give you 365, one per day, promises of God, so that you could wake up, open it up, promise from God, little devotional, boom, promise of God for the day. That's, that, that's a whole year's worth. So we're just going to look at four, so that we're not here all night. Number one is is the is not really one of the promises. It's that we've been given promises. Second Peter chapter one verse three. His divine power. Now that's we're talking about Jesus. We're not talking about anybody else. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that is Jesus, who called us to His own glory, Jesus's glory and excellence. Verse four by which he has granted us to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We've talked about this over the past few weeks. It's a prevailing thought in our world that in a world of vague general spirituality that all people are children of God. And no one gets more specific than that because if you get more specific than that, you start identifying yourself with a religious group or a religious sect. Um, the Bible tells us that before Christ, we are spiritual orphans. We are spiritually dead. 
and that once we know Christ and put our faith in him, we are born again. That's where the term born-again Christian comes from. Um, it's uh, one of those terms that in the last 20 years ago, 20 years or so, um, born-again Christian has kind of died. Nobody really says I'm born again or I'm a born-again Christian. Um, and I think that's a good thing because I think a lot of folks use that, that term in the wrong sense. And we have this opportunity to kind of redeem that and say, no, I've been born again by Jesus. He has made me whole. He has made me new. He has, he has caused me to come to life when I was spiritually dead. Peter says that these promises that we've been given them because we have been born again, because we have uh, exercised our faith in Christ. Um, for those who do not exercise the, their faith in Christ, they do not have these promises. And this is not my choice. This isn't your choice. If you were to share this message with somebody, maybe you got into a, a into a discussion with them, and they think, okay, I am a I am a child of God, but I don't believe in Jesus. Then you could explain to them, well, the Bible tells us uh, that that's a not true. And then as you begin discussing the promises of the Bible, you can explain that they are for the children of God. Um, I make promises to my children all the time. It would not um, other parents would not be cool if their children heard my promises and then tried to get in on them. So give me give you an example. I tell my children and kids, you're here, so don't take me seriously. This is an example. <laughs> I say, let's. I promise that this evening I will go get you ice cream. Good promise. Um, kid over here overhears it and says, oh, I want ice cream too. Then my response was, would be, well, you know, that you're not my child. This promise is exclusive to my children. And heaven forbid, if you were my child by some weird circumstance where you came over and I had to adopt you, then by all means, I would give you ice cream too. But you're not my child. You go talk to your parents. So my promises to my children would be exclusive for them. It's not by, it's not by the children's choice. They, they don't want to keep those people out, but the promise was only for them. We have the promises of God because we have put our faith in Christ and what he has done. He, has, he and he alone has died for the sinner. He and he alone has the payment that's more than sufficient for the penalty that we deserve. I love to, um, you know, I don't, I don't get God 100%. I mean, I love Jesus. I study his word. I love preaching and teaching about him. But there are things that I just ponder and think about as I, you know, lay in bed at night or as I'm kind of just daydreaming throughout the day or, you know, driving, which I probably should be paying attention to the road, but I'm thinking about other things. Um, you know, I think about God's wrath. We, we tend to, as Americans, think of God's the good guy, the devil's the bad guy, and, and God's place is heaven, and, and the devil's place is hell, and, and I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, and, and if I go to hell, then devil's going to punish me forever and if i'm with god then he's gonna love me forever and we kind of draw these you know superhero lines between these two and and honestly that's not how the bible describes everything that might be how our mind kind of correlates it but that's not how the bible describes it bible tells us that god's the almighty and that satan's a created being and that when he uh, when hell is is when people are thrown into hell non-believers the the demons and satan himself they'll all suffer Satan won't be a leader of suffering people. He'll be suffering in torment like the rest. We have been uh, given this great privilege to be uh, 
a part of what God is doing, but to be a part of his family as well. We aren't, we aren't just trying to avoid hell. We have been redeemed back to God. It's more than just be a good guy, not a bad guy. It is you can be alive in Christ. You can um, be rescued from the pits of hell that we all deserve. And I think about how God literally what he's saving us from is not hell. I mean he is, but, but more importantly he's saving us from himself. It's his wrath that's poured out upon those who are in hell. It's his wrath that's poured out upon those that don't believe. And so ultimately what Jesus has done, he has saved us from his just wrath. And I just think about that like, wow, like God had every reason. I had no good in me. I think about my life and my sin and go, wow, there was no reason other than he loved me for him to step in front of that train for me, for him to take that bullet for me. He must, he must love me so much that he would give his only begotten son on my behalf. And so um, sometimes following Jesus and being a disciple of God isn't about having him figured out. It's just about knowing that he loves you, knowing that he cares for you, knowing that he is here to guide you and to change you and to make you new. So let's go over four promises of God. Four promises. Very. These are, these are the four I picked. I, I would I'd be lying if I said these were the ones that the Lord just highlighted for me. In a sense, I guess maybe, but really what they are, they're the four that for me are the most important. Right now in this season of my life, and probably for the, the longest time, more, most, the most time that I can remember, these are the promises that most uh, comfort me. So if they don't comfort you, I, I'm sorry. I'm hoping that at least out of the four, maybe one or two will. But um, I know for me, these four are four of the most important promises um, that, that I call upon, or I should say rely upon, Every single day. Number one tends to be uh, in the top, in the top ten, top three sometimes even sleep or rest. I I love a good nap. I uh, I've been home with the kids the last couple of days by myself. Sarah was in New York City for a for Origami Owl thing uh, training, and um, so I've had the kids the last couple of days. We've just had a blast. You know, we, I, I found several different ways to make hot dogs and. We just had a lot of fun played and and, and all that. And um, right before church, it was just after 6 o'clock, I sat Ethan down for some schoolwork. And uh, I said, Ethan, you know, it was a test, so I can't really help him anyways. Sat him down, do your test. I'm going to go lay on the couch for just a minute. I slept for maybe 12 seconds. But, man, it was it was just good to just lay there. And it started under the premise of praying. Like, I'm going to go pray. i to get prayed up for church. And I laid there, and I was like, oh. I guess laying there, and I was thinking about Jesus and praying, the mind wandering, and all of a sudden I hear, I'm like, "Oh, that's me! Oh my goodness, I'm the I'm the only adult here. I gotta act responsible." I'm like, okay, but honestly, it was just just a quick little nap. I just woke, I shot back up. I'm like, "All right, let's go to church." I love a good nap, and some folks uh, are anti-nap, and um, I'm not down with your crowd. Like, I don't want, I I am pro-nap all the way. But some folks, uh, they 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 might love naps, but it's hard for them to just let their minds settle down. Resting for them is hard. Resting's not hard for me. It's you, I could walk into a house, chaos, blaring TV, dishes got to be done. I'm going to go take a nap. That's Sundays, exactly. I don't know how many Sundays I've fallen asleep at Gladys' house. Kids running around. Um, she's filled me with spaghetti. So you can't expect too much from me after that anyways. But the TV's going, dogs barking. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to... 
I tap out for just like 15 minutes or, you know, <laughs> three or four hours. I just get to sleep for a little while. Some folks have a hard time, though. i got to get this done. I will rest when I do this, do that, do this, do that, get this done, and then I'll be able to rest. And what I've always seen is at the end of that list, a brand new list emerges, and they just never rest. Some folks, it's not just a, it's not a mathematical thing where if I do stuff, then I can rest. It's when I'm quiet and I'm alone, that's when, the, that's when Satan attacks me. That's when I'm most tormented. Um, this is why some people suffer from insomnia. No, just Satan is relentless, and if he knows something works, he just goes after it. He just keeps keeps pounding away at that to cause you to buckle and break. And so tonight, what I want—I don't want you to read this as a band-aid. You know, sometimes we look at scripture like band-aids, like, oh, I hurt here. Here's a scripture. I'm okay now. I want these to be things that we read, meditate, think about. And then thank the Lord for, Lord, you've said these things, you've promised this for me. I'm seeking this from you. Remember Isaiah 55, his word goes out to do what it has called, what's been called to do. And so if he's called to give you rest, then by golly, there's some way somehow you're going to rest. Matthew 11 and 28 says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, folks who go through things like depression, you'll find that they sleep a lot. But it's not because they're tired. They're, they're going through depression, whether it's a, a spiritual uh, attack or whether it's something physical. Um, they sleep. It's, it's not because they're physically tired. It's because they're battling constantly. And then they wake up and they're not any more rested than when they went to sleep. See, rest is more than just about physical sleep. It's about it's about being able to be settled. You know, one of the things my dog, we have a dog, he's a golden retriever. He just cannot, okay, I take that back. 80 to 85% of the time, he cannot rest. Somebody comes into the house and he just freaks out. There's a new person here, got to jump up and down, got to bring him a toy, got to jump on their face. He weighs like 60 pounds, and so that's always really fun. Um, the other day, he broke our screen because I went outside and was gone for literally 30 seconds. And he, and when I came back, it was like he'd never seen me. He was like, oh, my gosh, Tony, you're back. I thought you were never coming back. Dude, I, 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 you could see me in the yard. And he just jumped up and put his paws right through the through the screen. And I was able to fix it, but I'm like, man, you just got to relax. He can't. He's just too excited. Now, some people are there's just so – so much chaos and turmoil happening all in here. There's some folks there, whether it's uh, whether it's a, a problem, whether it's the fear of, of anything, whether it's just a, a, a physical ailment that doesn't allow them to, the Bible's clear that Jesus has come and he has promised to give us rest. He calls us to himself and says, come to me. I, I find that there are times where God goes to you, and there are times where he calls you to himself. You know, I think about the apostles or, or the disciples, Jesus telling them, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. Come with me, come with me. Here he says, come to me, all who labor. And, and on, in Habakkuk chapter 2 that we studied on Sunday, there was this verse. I'm actually going to – I forgot to write it down, so I'll, I'll just go right to it. But we, we glossed right over it. We read it really fast, and um, maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. Verse 13 of chapter 2, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor 
merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing you know when we when we become part of team jesus um a lot of things begin to become corrected it's part of our sanctification and one of those things is toiling toiling is a is a really good word for working really hard for no reason just working really hard because if i stop working hard then i got to face life or if i stop uh working hard then i might not make enough money or 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 just have you ever just did a job and it was for nothing like that's toiling to me. That's working for nothing is one of the most frustrating. I don't mean no reward. What I mean is you do something and at the end of it all you found out that was for nothing. Or or worrying. That's another good. You know, you worry and you worry and you worry and then you, why did I worry? Everything was okay. That's that's toiling. And and, and Habakkuk God tells him that you know there are folks who who all they work for is is fire. All they work for is is, is stuff that's you know you're gonna have anyways. In Jesus, all that's corrected, and now as we as we work, we can not only work for Christ, but our work can have a purpose. You know, you can you can do something, serve somebody, and know that God might do something really great with that. Your little step, your little part, may not be all that great, but God can do something great with it. God can God can take so much uh, uh, of your tiny little offering and make so much with it. Think about the young boy with the fishes and the loaves where Jesus fed the multitudes. Little boy just comes with a couple of fish, a little bit of bread, and everybody eats. He takes his little sacrifice, and, and, and he himself probably got more food than he had, plus everybody else did, up to, up to I think it was like 7,000 people in one instance. Our offering generally is not about how much we give, but whether or not we're faithful. And, and our rest is 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 dependent on jesus and if we find ourselves restless then we can go to christ seek this out lord your word says come to me i'm coming to you i am heavy laden i am burdened down i i'm hurting and i'm and i don't even know why can you help me the promise is that god will it's not a band-aid it's not a quick fix it's relationship it's 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 communing with the lord Number two. So number one, one of my favorites, being able to rest. But you can't rest all the time, right? I mean, you can't just sleep and you can't just nap and you can't just play video games. I mean, you got to do more than just rest sometimes. Sometimes you got to do stuff. And to do stuff, you have to have strength. And strength beyond my our own physical abilities. Strength that is greater than um, what you and I have even combined. You know, I think back to when Ethan was first diagnosed. We just we just eclipsed that three year mark. You know, it's easy to count because it was on his birthday. But uh, I have this app on my phone called Time Hop, and it'll show me things that happened. You know, a year ago today, two years ago today, and three years ago, and so on, so up to like seven years ago today. And I'm going over a lot of memories those first few days, where 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 we were letting you guys know because it's everything based around Facebook and Twitter. Anything that we put out there is being recalled to memory, and and I. I'm I'm reading all these things I've shared with with uh, people here at the church and my family in California and and I'm just reminded that man you know at the time I felt so weak I felt like there's no possible way we could ever get through this there it's just it's just too much I mean I knew if, in one in, in one fell swoop I knew that God was big and good but I knew that this was going to be so hard and and I remember just thinking man I just Lord, I remember just praying things like, Lord, I need you. I, I don't have answers. I don't 
I don't know what I don't know what a lot of these big words are. I don't I don't know what to expect. I don't I don't want to hear horror stories from other parents and patients. I I really just want to focus on the battle that 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 Ethan has right now. And as I look back, you know, at the time I couldn't do this, but now I look back and I realize I see Jesus bringing us through that. There were times where I was very weak and Sarah was very strong and she was uh, strong in the Lord and she would uh, help me and then and then vice versa. But nonetheless, I look back and see, wow, Jesus, why, how did you do that, man? I I don't I know that wasn't me. I know that there were times where, man, if I could just keep eating, everything would be okay. That's a bad way to handle things. And and for my wife, if 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 I could just stay busy enough, then things would be okay. And that was the the rest thing. Um, but I look back and I see, wow, Jesus gave me strength. I didn't. That wasn't me. Isaiah 40 and 29, chapter 40 of Isaiah is one of the most well-known chapters of the Bible. You see it like on Bible book covers and that sort of thing. My first Bible book cover actually had this inscribed on it. Chapter 40, verse 29 says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Here's the thing about Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 specifically is for the Jewish people at that time. Isaiah was being used as a prophet um, to proclaim this word to these people. And they were in the midst of and were about to go through some of the hardest times as a nation that they would ever face. But in chapter 40, God, through the prophet Isaiah, is explaining to the people the difference between the power of man and the power of God. And the greatest way to, to, sh kind, of, to kind of see the greatness of God's power is to compare the two. It's like putting black next to white. Black always looks blackest next to white. God's power looks that much more powerful when it's compared to human power. And that's why God says, you know, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. That youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. You know, young guys are usually pretty dumb, but they're they're dumb for a long time. Like, like they have really great stamina. And I chuckle, and John chuckles, because we were once young men who were very dumb, but had lots of stamina. Um, and, and, and God says, no... Even though they might grow faint and weary, God's power far exceeds that. That strength which God pours out to you, through you, in you, on you, I don't know how you want to describe it or how you best understand that, but in any way, shape, or form, he gives it to you far exceeds the power that you might have. There are times where, man, I have felt the physical limitations of my power. And there are times where I have seen the, the limitless power of Christ on display whether it be through me or my wife or this church or or just people in general like wow how did you do that and they'll tell me it's just Jesus I have no other explanation you can have hope in a God who is mightier than you at the end of the day you can rest knowing I have done what God has called me to do or I have failed and repented but at the end of the day, it's about God's power and his strength and what he wants to do. Number three, supply. Supply. These all start with the letter S too, by the way. It makes it very convenient to understand and to remember. 
supply. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now once again, these are not band-aids. And sometimes we rip scriptures out of context to use it as a band-aid over whatever problem we have. And uh, we kind of lose what God's really trying to say to us. So with the last verse and with this verse, context matters. In context, Paul in chapter 14 of Philippians is explaining to the church that there's been times where I've had nothing. There's been times where I've had lots. There's been times where I've been hungry. There's been times where I've had so much food, I thought I was going to pass out. I have learned that through Christ, I can do all things, whether it's lack or have, whether it's need or want, whatever it is that Jesus, I can do all things through him. And in this, Paul is trying to tell the church that I know, I'm confident that the needs you have as a church will be supplied through him. But not according to your riches and not according to my riches, but according to his. We have a, a, a very a very good congregation. This church in the four years I've been here has never lacked in giving. We've lacked in other things, but we've never lacked in giving. When we were 12, or I think the most we've ever had is like 60 or 70, we've never lacked people giving to what this church has wanted to do. It's been awesome. And, and it's been a testimony to this church. This church has been like that for so many, for decades of time. But it's not dependent upon who's here. It's dependent upon the God who wants stuff done here. If everybody stopped giving tomorrow, and they might, you never know, my confidence would not be shaken. Not because I'm prideful and not because I want to talk big game. Because I know that today or tomorrow, whatever the circumstance, my supply, this church's supply, comes from Jesus first. And he uses really awesome people to give, and that's great. But I know that if the awesome people here stopped giving, he'd bring in more awesome people to give. He just would. If he truly believes in the mission that we have here. Now, money starts drying up. People stop giving. I'll have to question if maybe we're going down the wrong road. If God is not supplying according to his riches, then maybe there's a breakdown somewhere. Time to go back to the drawing board and start praying and fasting again. But nonetheless, God supplies not just the church's needs, but your needs according to his riches. Now, don't get hung up on the word riches. Okay, It doesn't mean that – nowhere does it say God will make you rich. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that your needs – they will be taken care of from God's bank or God's riches or God's wealth. If you have need of something, then from his storehouse you will be fed, supplied, that sort of thing. And we think – so at that point, it's not, it's not whether or not God can do it. It's whether or not you need it or, or you have to have it right now. You know, Every guy I've ever met, the exception of few uh, or of a few – will tell me, man, if God had answered my prayers, I wouldn't be with my wife right now because I'd prayed for this other girl or for this other person or whatever. And, and, and praise God, I didn't answer those prayers. He gave to me the wife I have now. This verse, Paul, as he preaches it to the people, 
It's not birthed out of prosperity. Paul's in jail as he writes this. He's under house arrest. He's not he's not living it up in some mansion. He's not living it up, you know, eating the best of food. He's under house arrest. He can't he can't go anywhere on of his own will. He can't say, "Hey, I'm going to 7-Eleven now. Go get a cup of coffee." No, he he has a permission for everything. And true, I I would wager to say that that a house being under house arrest is probably better than jail. But even house arrest at some point is going to get old. You know, maybe he has a few more comforts than than people who are in jail or in prison. But nonetheless, he's not a free man. And so he he's not preaching from an ivory tower down to the people. He's actually below them saying, hey, God supplies all of my needs. God takes care of me whether I am in prison, whether I'm under house arrest, or whether I'm walking as a free man. God supplies my needs. And if you wonder why not all Christians are rich, it's because um, sometimes the better testimony comes from those who are from below us. Those who are who are in the deepest, darkest places of their life, but yet still praising Jesus. That testimony carries a whole lot more than, hey, God gave me a Mercedes and he can give you one too. Sleep or rest, strength, supply, stay. Romans 8 and 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This should be a rhetorical question, but Paul's going to continue. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as, as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The bottom line of what Paul is saying here is there's nothing you can do or have done that can scare away Jesus. Now, I lived I lived a lot of my years as a Christian thinking if I if I did the wrong thing or I said the wrong thing the Holy Spirit would leave or 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 Jesus would just abandon me. I thought certainly if I sin Jesus must just leave. And Paul tells us not that sin is acceptable, not that we should compromise on sin or that we're allowed to sin willy-nilly, but he tells us that nothing can separate us. Not powers, not life, nor death, nothing can separate us. God has promised us that in Christ Jesus, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Promises first given in Deuteronomy, I forget which chapter, but it's repeated again in the book of Hebrews. That no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what experience or trial that you've gone through, no matter how hard life might seem, Jesus is there with you. Now in this particular trial, I'll be honest with you, I've been there. Whether or not Jesus is with you may not be the most important thing in your mind. I can, I, as I just said with Ethan's diagnosis three years ago, knowing that God was there almost made me more numb. It means more to me now three years later than it did then. It means more to me now to know that Jesus was there as much uh, as much there then as he is now, it means more to me right now. 
Because I can look back and I can see the faithfulness of Christ. I can see how he did, uh, how he was there in ways that you know I didn't even, I didn't even recognize at the time. And for you, maybe right now, just being told that Jesus is with you isn't exactly bringing any healing. But I guarantee you, the healing will come because Jesus is there. And it will take time. It just will take time. We're not really, you know, there are times where God instantly, miraculously heals, corrects, changes, and praise God for that. And we wish he'd do it a lot more. But I find that his His way of doing things usually is the is the wait and go through the valley of the shadow of death to see Jesus caring for you throughout the whole thing. To know that that's not your destination, but that you are walking through this path and that you will be okay with Jesus. Ultimately, lastly, this is the most important. Jesus just gives us himself. Ultimately, the greatest gift that God gives is his only begotten son, whom he, in whom he is well pleased, whom, whom he loves, the Bible says. He loves, he loves him so much and is willing to give him up for you. This is a short list of the five most important things to me, for most, most important promises, rather, that God has given me. Now, there are other promises. There are promises that, you know, all things will be made brand new. There are promises that he'll wipe away our tears and, and, and promises uh, that we'll receive new bodies and, and all kinds of promises. But these are the five that ultimately keep me going each and every day. Honestly, the Jesus one and, and, and one or two others would actually be enough. It's not even these five that I, I bank on. Usually it's just I have Jesus and um, you know what? If I get anything else, it's, it's just a bonus. The cost of this, the cost of, of having this type of hope is that you're going to be engaged in a war for the rest of your life, meaning your hope is going to be challenged. We have a real enemy, a real adversary. The Bible calls him an accuser. Satan comes to attack every wall we put up. He does. We can be real triumphant. We can come to church, you know, go to the altar, cry, stand up, and then Satan's waiting to just tear that all down. That sucks. I don't like that. But that's why hope becomes so important. Hope in the midst of the battle says, you know what? I win this. I don't care what man can do to me. I don't care what Satan can do to me. I don't even care what my flesh wants to do to me. In the end, I win not because of me but because of Christ. The reward is this, and to me this is why I think I gravitate towards these promises so much. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a big chapter. Verse 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In Christ... I'm already victorious. Now, this doesn't mean that, oh, I want healing, and I already have the healing, and blah, blah. No, what it means is that all the things that need to be done to change this world have already been done in Christ. So now, rather than focusing on the trial, I can focus on Christ and get my job done. Um, How many people like bees? I went through a big phase where I just was 
deathly afraid of bees. Kind of over that now. Some of the bees still kind of scare me because they they they're like mili military grade bees. They're just they're just scary. But your common honeybee and even those big carpenter bees, they don't really bother me so much anymore. But there was a day in an age where uh, they were, if I saw one, that's all I could focus on. You could be talking, have a conversation, we could be eating a meal. Uh, I'm hearing the buzzing, I'm seeing it, where is it, what was that, that was a fly, okay, just gotta stay, you know, looking around, gotta be cognizant where the, you, at that point I'm useless. Can't, I could barely carry a conversation at that point, all conversation's gone. Um, if there's something on TV or experience I should be experiencing or something like that, it doesn't matter. So focused on what might happen, the fear of this tiny little insect, who's crazy, by the way. Don't let anybody think they don't want to bother you. They're crazy. Um, so focused on that was good for nothing. So in overcoming that fear through Christ, now instead of focusing on the bee or the bees or whatever, I focus on the job that I need to do. If I'm working in the yard, if I'm playing with the kids, it's okay. This is the important part, not this. When, when Jesus is your hope, you can say, okay, the world is hard, life is hard, trials abound, everything falling apart, but I have Christ. What's my part to do? It's like the war is just happening all around you, and you're right in the middle of it doing the job. You, you no longer have to focus on how to fix all of this. It's just what am I supposed to do right here? All my concentrated efforts on this moment, this time, and this job. What is it? That's victory. Satan, I, I have to imagine, I don't know for sure, but I have, to say, I have to assume that nothing frustrates him more than that. Than to just unleash everything and like nobody even notices. Like you're just like, shield of faith, boom, boom, boom. And he's like, what do I do? What's my part? And you're like not even looking at him anymore. Like that's just going to infuriate him. And, and I shouldn't, shouldn't be happy about that. But man, just a little bit of a smile. Like yeah, that's, that's what Jesus paid for man get back jack i'm not even playing right now like let's just yeah i gotta go counsel this person fine let's go counsel i gotta go do i gotta teach this i gotta show this i gotta study for this boom like i, I have to focus on this i don't have time for you i don't have time for your games right now bring up my past fears of the future blah 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 don't even care what do i have to do right now it's victory that's the victory jesus died to give you now, I'll be real honest with you, it's taken me years, years. I'm only 36, but it's taken me years to get to a place where I can joke about these things. Five years ago, I wouldn't be telling this like this. Like, oh no, Satan's going to get you. You got you to gotta have a shield of faith. You know, it wasn't like this. But I've just seen over and over again, okay, so you're going to do that again. Okay, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, belt of truth skirt of whatever i don't know it's the whole armor of god i'm sure there's some type of a thing involved okay what's my job what's the thing i need to focus on focus on that focus on the lord in that i can rest in that i have strength he he wants it done so there's supply and and, and really the battle is staying focused on him and that's the kind of victory that we need hope allows us to see the task at hand to do what Jesus has us to do, and to live fearlessly. We as, as a church need to grow a little more fear, fearful of the Lord. Not, not in the, oh man, he's going to squash us at any moment, 
But man, he's this is Jesus we're talking about. This isn't some guy. This isn't some group or some building that this is Jesus. If I say no to him, I lose. So I want to pray. Now this is excuse me, this is something that I'm hoping as a church that that becomes more plain to us and then we begin to see you know, small victories that become bigger victories that become bigger victories. And then we get five, ten years down the line and we look back at our lives and say, wow, I didn't think I could get through that, but I did. And, and now I look back and say, what? I, I was worried about that? That wasn't even that big of a deal. The Bible says, I forget where, because my Bible memorization skills are not the best, but that one day we'll see Satan and we'll look at him and we'll wonder why we were ever afraid of him. Like, I, I look forward to that day. Like, I don't know if we get to say anything, but, you know, you start working on a routine now. Like, hey, Satan, just start making jokes about him and things, that sort of thing. I don't know if we're allowed to do that, but maybe we should have something stored up just in case Jesus gives us the okay to kind of throw out some smack talk while we're there. You know, how about that heat? Stuff like that, you know. <laughs> Not like that, but better than that. I mean, we got a lot of time to, to think about this. <laughs> um. So yeah, let's pray. And then we'll take our prayer requests and then we'll go home. Jesus, we love you. And these these simple promises, I mean they're they're not simple. They were just relayed simply. They're they're enormous. They're they're huge promises. Actually, I mean, when I look at people compared to you, there are people who have promised to supply and didn't. There are people who have promised to stay and didn't. There are people that promised to help and be strength and didn't. There are people who promised to offer rest and didn't. And so, Lord, we, we look at you, and, and it's not fair of us to put that on you. Your word has promised us these things, and, and we seek after them. Your word tells us to seek, ask, knock. If you've spoken these things, if you have declared these things, if you have promised these things, then by all means, we want to make these things a part of our life. We want to hope so that we may trust in your promises, experience true rest, true true communion where you never leave us nor forsake us, strength and supply each and every day, and then see Jesus as the ultimate gift that though we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die on our behalf, that we might be forgiven of our sins. In the words of Romans 8, Lord, that you'd that you would that nothing would separate us from the love of Christ or from the love of God found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, help us to see Jesus as our Lord. I think sometimes that's the problem. He's a great guy, he's a great teacher, but he's not our Lord and Savior. He's not our Lord and God. May we may we develop the fear of the Lord that the Bible declares to us. Not that we're afraid you're gonna crush us or squash us or just just beat the crap out of us because you're mad one day, but but a fear that that respects you and says you are God and and if this is what you want, then man, we're gonna do it. And if it's not what you want, then we're gonna stay back and we're not gonna do it. And in all these things, Lord, help us that we may be victorious, it, not not in and of ourselves. What an empty thing to be victorious in and of ourselves, but what a great thing to be victorious because of you. I give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.